This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, we begin with that master of the one-liner, Bob Hope. By the late 1990s, Hope had become one of the most honored performers in entertainment history. He received more than 50 honorary degrees in his lifetime, as well as a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Kennedy Center in 1985, a Medal of Arts from President Bill Clinton in 95, and a British Knighthood in 1998. The British-born Hope was especially surprised by the honorary knighthood, saying... I'm speechless. Seventy years of ad-lib material, and I'm speechless. Around this time, Hope donated his papers to the Library of Congress. He handed over his joke files, which he'd kept in special file cabinets in a special room of his Lake Toluca, California home. These jokes, accumulating more than 85,000 pages of laughs, represented the work of Hope and the numerous writers that he kept on staff. At one point, Hope had 13 writers working for him. So let's see what classic lines we'll hear tonight when Judy Garland visits. Ah, thank you so much. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is the Pepsodent Kid, Bob Hope. Still eating three meals a day with your teeth. <laughs> I'm a little tired tonight. I just got back from the Santa Anita Handicap. I would have been here sooner, but I stopped to have my barrel pressed. <laughs> Santa Anita, that's the outdoor version of you can't take it with you. <laughs> but really, it's beautiful out there, folks. The grass on the infield is gorgeous. After the fourth race, I had some of it for lunch. <laughs> I'm even large Santa Anita this year, and I want to tell you, the whole place is run just like a machine. A vacuum cleaner. <laughs> I've never seen so many people in one place. The crowds were so heavy, the pickpockets had to put on extra help. In fact, they were so busy, they wouldn't pick the pocket of a tweed suit. The fuzz slowed them up too much. <laughs> One pickpocket lifted my wallet and the list of the horses I was going to bet on. He took one look at the list, handed me back my wallet, and gave me an extra dollar for car fare. <laughs> and you should have seen the automobiles out there. I've never seen so many cars. It looked like the backyard of the finance company. <laughs> I hear Morgenthau wants to trade his job for the parking concession. <laughs> I came late and had to park at the end of the parking lot. In fact, I, when I got out of my car, I found out I had paid a quarter to park in my own driveway. <laughs> they say it's hard to get back to town in traffic, but I fooled them. I left before the first race. I, no, I wish I had. Skinny gave me a tip on the handicap. He said the horse can't lose. The jockey's been eating garlic, and the horse will win trying to get away. 
First time I ever saw a jockey ride a horse backwards. I said, what's the idea of riding a horse backwards? He said, I have to. It makes the horse nervous to have anyone look over his shoulder. <laughs> nice horse. Every once in a while, he'd look around to see if his plow was on straight. <laughs> he was so far behind, his tail showed in the photo finish. <laughs> Really, the jockey pulled him up so much, it's the first time I ever saw a horse finish with a bit under his tail. <laughs> I should have known better when I saw the jockey carrying an overnight bag. And now, and now, Bill Goodwin. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, our guest is that grand little star from MGM, Miss Judy Garland. And now, Skinny Ennis and our six hits of the Miss Swing Out with Could Be. Take it, talent. <laughs> Could be he'll sing us a song. Could be that yellow moon. It's just a big balloon. And not that yellow moon at all. Could be that angel face. It's something out of space. And not that angel face I love. Could be this heart of mine. It's just a valentine. And not this heart of mine at all. Could be a dream I see, but if you're asking me, could be I'm in love, could be. there at the Santa Anita Derby last Saturday. Bill, that's Derby. The English say Derby and the Americans say Derby. Yeah, and the losers say nuts. (laughs) Say, Bob, I hear the owners of the horses out at Santa Anita sit in boxes that have their names on. That's right, Bill. There's the Whitney box, the Vanderbilt box, Bradley, Astor. What was the name of the box you were sitting in, Bob? A sun kiss. Uh... (laughs) Say, how did you like that suit I had on? Dude, where did you get that thing? It looked like it was cut down from a shroud. <laughs> Is that so? I'll have you know I was the best-dressed man at Santa Anita. I was a regular Bo Brummel. Hello, Bo. What do you hear from the other Brummel? <laughs> well, Tansy Kelly. Oh. Say, Patsy, I saw you out of Santa Anita Saturday. Santa Anita? Slot machines with horses. <laughs> Why, Patsy, it's a privilege to go to a beautiful track like Santa Anita. 
Why, do you know what the name Santa Anita means? Oh, yes, I know. It's Spanish for hello, sucker. <laughs> Say, weren't you out there with Skinny and his brother? Yeah, the three of us hitchhiked out there. Didn't you, really? Didn't your thumbs get awfully tired? Oh, no, we didn't have to use our thumbs. We just waved Skinny's brother. <laughs> but tell me, is his brother that thin? Thin? Why, that guy has to wear snowshoes when he takes a bath so he won't slide down the drain. <laughs> Now, wait a minute, Patsy. Skinny's brother isn't that skinny. Oh, no, listen. That guy is so thin, he just got himself a daytime job stuffing olives. Stuffing olives? Yeah, he crawls through the olives, dragging the pimento behind him. Hi, everybody. Why, well, hiya, Skinny. Well, if it isn't Tremble Pencil. Uh, hello, Patsy. Hello, Bated Breath. Say, why don't you inhale once and see how it feels to rough it? Uh, see here, Kelly You can't talk to me like that Don't forget I'm a man, incidentally Incidentally? You mean accidentally Listen, Kelly Before you say another word Just take a look at those bulging muscles Muscles? Where? I don't see any muscles Doggone it I forgot to put them on tonight <laughs> Say, Patsy I, I heard that your family Was out here for the big race Yeah, they just got here From back east Back east, huh? How are things in Pomona? Yeah Say, I... I I suppose they've been out to the studio to watch you make pictures. Yeah, they came out on the set and watched me um, work on my last picture. Say, I saw that picture, Patsy. Say, what were those swallows doing flying across the screen? Those weren't swallows. My father was sitting on one side of the set and the cuspid was on the other. <laughs> Say, well, what does your family think of our radio program? Well, I'll give you an idea. I just got a letter from my uncle back in Brooklyn. Really? What does he say? Well, here it is. Dear Patsy... The Pepsodent Show is much improved. You're much better than you were. Skinny Ennis is much better, and Jerry Colonna is much improved. Well, doesn't he say anything about me? Oh, yes, here. P.S. Hope you are the same. <laughs> so long. Hey, Bob. Yeah, yeah, Bill. How, how long was that big race last Saturday? Well, it was a mile and a quarter, Bill. Well, just what does that mean, Bob? Well, it means it was the horse's last mile and my last quarter. <laughs> oh, well, now, don't be discouraged, Bob. You know our motto, never say die. Never say die. Yeah, yeah. open to the Paramount Theater in New York tomorrow. Let me plug up. <laughs> well, 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 listen, if, die, you, yeah. uh, if you ever get another quarter, I know lots of things to do with it. What, for instance, Bill? Well, for instance, Bob, for a quarter, you can get a tube of Pepsodent toothpaste. And that's the only toothpaste that contains irium. You know, irium is the lively agent that sparks up Pepsodent's cleansing power. Gently, safely, but ever so quickly, irium helps Pepsodent remove dingy surface stains from your teeth. Persuades your teeth to shine with natural brilliance. Brushing twice a day with Pepsodent plus irium is like spring cleaning your mouth. It gives you cleaner, brighter, smoother teeth and keeps them at high shining luster. The surefire recipe for a million-dollar smile is dazzling teeth. So why not invest a quarter now for a tube of Pepsodent toothpaste with irium? And now may I present one of the most charming and talented members of Hollywood's younger generation, soon to be seen in The Wizard of Oz, MGM singing sensation Miss Judy Garland. Mr. Hope, I hope, I hope that you will not be cross. I hope that you won't think that I'm a boy. 
But when I heard you sing that lovely song to Shirley Ross, I knew that Gable didn't matter anymore. It had to be you. this way about me. Mr. Hope, I I used to like Clark Gable and Robert Taylor, but but you're different. I know it, Judy. I've been told that before. <laughs> Gee, I, I've seen all your pictures and I listen to you every time you're on the air, no matter what the rest of the family wants to hear. <laughs> well, I hardly know what to say. Imagine meeting my fan face to face. But Mr. Hope, it's, it's not that. It's, it's deeper than that. You see... You're my crush. You're my dream man. You're my Prince Charming. Now, wait a minute, Snow White. <laughs> Let's not have a scene. After all, I may be just a passing fancy in your life. Oh, no, Mr. Hope. This is a real thing. It's lasted almost two whole days. <laughs> Gosh, and in Hollywood, too. <laughs> oh, you men are all alike. Always joking. Why, well, I don't think you even know what it means to have a crush on somebody. Oh, don't I? How do you think I felt last week when they told me Hedy Lamar to elope with someone else? Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't know. I suppose you feel you just ought to go out and jump off a cliff and end it all. Well, I want to have a long talk with Madeline Carroll first. <laughs> oh, well, ne- never mind them, Mr. Hope. I'm not like other girls. I'm willing to take you just as you are. Isn't that just too wonderful? <laughs> <laughs> But, Judy, look, I'm flattered. I'm glad that you told me only... Only what? Well, do you think I'm your type? Oh, Mr. Hope, I know I'm not worthy of you. But you don't have to love me right away. But, Judy, I mean, after all, I'm not exactly... Oh, I might have known it. Are you somebody else's crush? Well, not exactly, but, well, there there are some strings attached. Oh. Then you are someone else's crush. Well, I was, but she married me. Gee, that's awful. But I can go right on having a crush on you, can't I? From a distance, I mean. Judy, with so many other handsome men in Hollywood, why did you have to pick on me? (laughs) Well, you see, Mr. Hope, it was like this. First, I picked out Clark Gable to have a crush on. But I had too much competition. He didn't appreciate me. Oh, well, what could you expect from that tap dancer? crush on Robert Taylor, but I guess I had too much competition there, too. And after Robert Taylor, all that was left was a choice between you and Tyrone Power. Tyrone Power. Beauty versus beast. And I picked you. I guess I was tired of competition. Yeah. I guess so. Oh, Mr. Hope, 
You're wonderful. Say you'll be the man of my dreams. But, Judy, really, I'm not the kind of man for you. I'm not good enough for you. Well, I pull little dogs' tails, and I take candy away from babies. And once I gave a canary a hot foot. (laughs) You're so brave and masterful. Well, maybe I am on the surface, but underneath I'm a no-good guy, Judy. Take my word for it. Hope is a louse. (laughs) But you're a good louse. (laughs) No, Judy, it's no use. We couldn't get along together. Then you're, you're turning me down? Don't take it so hard, Judy. None of the others did. All right. You don't have to tell me. I know. It's the old, old story. It's the woman who pays. I'm sorry I bothered you. Now I know how Greta Garbo felt when Robert Taylor left her in Camille. But don't worry about me, Mr. Hope. I'll recover. Time is a great healer. But I won't forget. I never will. Can a cad say a few words in his own defense before you go? Tell me, why don't you have a crush on someone near your own age? Well, most of the boys I know think I'm only an in-between. You know, not old enough to be a glamour girl and too old to go around with dolls. <laughs> well, I hope I'm never too old to go around with dolls. But you know... <laughs> you know, Judy, I've been having the same trouble you've had. Tell me, do you think I'm old enough for Carol Lombard? Well, of course. Mm, I guess she has some other reason. <laughs> bad. Well, so long, Mr. Hope. I've got to go now. Judy, you can't get away without giving us one of those garland specials. Well, all right. Would you like to hear Franklin D. Roosevelt Jones? Would I? Let's have it. Hey, Rufus Rasmus Brown, spread the news around, all around the town. About this celebration There's one thing that concerns the nation The glory, hallelujah Get Rosanna running through ya I am here to say It's a big holiday everywhere For the Jones family has a brand new heir He's the joy heaven sent And we proudly present Mr. Franklin D. Roosevelt he walks down, you'll never will me With the name like the name that he got today When he walks down the street Folks will say, please to meet Mr. Franklin D. Roosevelt Jones What a smile and how he shows it He'll be happy all day long What a name, I'll bet he knows He'll be famous, as famous as he can be How can he be a dud or a stick in the mud When he's Franklin D. Roosevelt Jones Go to sleep, my baby And 
You'll be a Democrat by and by. Oh, you're a lucky baby with Franklin D for your name. Mrs. Jones's baby boy is a welcome resident. Give him a pigeon rod for a toy. He's the future president. Or a stick in the mud Just you wait and see He'll make history Cause he's Franklin D. Roosevelt Judy Garland, that really was great. And now, here's a word from Bill Goodwin, who has a crush on Irium. Thank you, Bob. Nearly all toothpaste comes in a tube, keeps fresh, and is pleasant enough to taste. You can expect this from any toothpaste. But Pepsodent toothpaste has all of this, plus an important something the others haven't got. The extra something is Irium. That's the lively super addition that steps up Pepsodent's action, brightens the result. Irium helps Pepsodent remove the unattractive surface stains that cloud over your smile. It brings out the natural luster. At least twice a day, night and morning, every day of your life, brush your teeth with Pepsodent toothpaste with Irium, and you'll quickly be rewarded. It won't be long before you'll say, I never dreamed my teeth could sparkle so. I never knew my mouth could feel so fresh, so clean. It certainly feels grand to have well-groomed teeth. And now Bob Hope brings you his version of that popular new song hit, I Have Eyes. Bob, Bob, shh. Yes, Bill, Bob. Listen, I have a swell idea how we can both make money. No, Bill, this year I want to pay my income tax. No, that, that isn't what I mean. I think we ought to become spies. Important spies. Don't be silly, Bill. There's no money in spying. Oh, no? Did you ever see a house detective on relief? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I guess spying is a good racket if you don't lose your head. You can be famous, Bob. <laughs> really, you can be famous. Think of the great spies in history. Think of Matta Harry. Oh, yes. Matta Harry. And think of Nathan Hale and Jonathan Daly and Benedict Arnold. I can't, Bill. Why not? I'm still thinking of Matta Harry. <laughs> But really, Bill, I couldn't be a spy. I don't know how to act. Bob, let's leave your picture work out of this. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Bill, I'll go into the spy racket with you, but I'll have to get a spy suit. A spy suit? What's that? Oh, it's nothing. You just go out with a bloodhound and a black coat and vest. And what pants? The bloodhound. <laughs> well, come on, Bob. Let's get busy. Okay. The Hope and Goodwin Spy Salon, a snitch in time, pays the rent. What's that? I hope and good one very good at shadowing people in dark alleys. Well, I should say so. They're real slinkers. No, I said slinkers. <laughs> okay, uh, just a minute. It's for you, Cheese. Cheese, Patsy, that's Cheese. Take the script and read it. That's Cheese. Take the script and smell it. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> That's cheese. I'll take the script and eat it. Hello. And this is Spy Number One X reporting from Africa, Chief. Greetings, Spy One X. Where's Spy Two X? Isn't he with you? No, Chief. The cannibals had two X for breakfast. <laughs> Come in. Hello. Hello. Hey, Bill. Look, she's beautiful. What grace? Yeah, what form? What telephone number? <laughs> Hello. Hello. My name is Vanya Tanya Sonia Henya Notgranovich Babuchka. Oh, but you can call me Suki. Well, what do you want with me? Oh, I need help. If you do not help me, I shall have to kill you. Kill me? <laughs> Kill me! Yes. I will shoot you or stab you or poison you. Or take you in my arms and squeeze you to death. Smothering you with kisses. How would you like that? I'd like that. <laughs> Say, uh, where do you come from, Tootsie Whatskin? I come from the little country of Schlemilia. <laughs> Schlemilia! What a small world this is. Ah, uh, yes. I shall never forget my last day in Shlemelia. Bombs bursting. People were dropping like flies. The streets were covered with blood. Oh, it was so beautiful. I can see. Look, Trotsky, what can I do for you? You must pay me for my cousin, the ambassador from Shlemelia. Rat-faced repulsive. Well, what happens if I find him? Undoubtedly, he will kill you. And what happens if I don't find him? Undoubtedly, I will kill you. <laughs> What's in it for me? <laughs> Uh, either way, you'll be buried with full military honors. And then I say, hello. <laughs> Come on, Patrick, we got to go to the Sumerian embassy. Right. Hello? Oh, it's for you, Chief. For me? Hello. Mr. Hope. Yes? Say, listen, you'll never catch me, you old spidery spy, because you're just a ham and hams can't fly. <laughs> I asked myself this as I slid on my way. Is Hope a big dope? Oh, boy, I'll say. <laughs> say, who is this? Oh, just a great big stork. A stork? What are you doing here with me? Just looking over one of my mistakes. <laughs> Come on, Patsy. Let's go to the embassy and meet Blackface the Repulsive. Here we are. This looks like the embassy. Yeah, look at that sign. Embassy of Shamelia. Office hours, 12.30 to 1. Treaties broken Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Goodman, you stay outside, and if we have any trouble with Ratface, blow up the embassy. Right, Chief. Are you armed? And how? I'm armed to the teeth. Hey, you better not join or that club will fall out. <laughs> Ring the bell, Patsy. Hello? Tutsky. Hupsky. Runsky. <laughs> no, Patsy, don't run. I'm right behind you. Where's Ratface, Tutsky? Here comes Ratface now! <laughs> Greetings, Rat. Meet a diplomat. <laughs> Why, it's Professor Colonna with a Bay Rum Aroma. Tell me, are you the ambassador? Ah, yes, and I'm the president, secretary of war, navy, state, interior, exterior. In fact, I'm the whole Shlemiel. <laughs> I can believe that. And who is the little Wren with you? <laughs> this, this is Matta Kelly, the international spy. She loves you, Professor. Ah, my little matter. You've made me so much flatter, and all my cares will scatter because your heart belongs to data. <laughs> Professor, tell me, were you ever caught as an ambassador without portfolio? Ah, yes. Briefcase, wasn't it? <laughs> what has been your worst experience, Professor? Once, for no reason, I was held for treason and placed against the wall to be shot. 
Did they shoot you? I don't know, Nave. I was blindfolded. <laughs> Will you pardon me? I feel a bomb coming on. Ambassador, you've blown up the whole block. Why did you throw that bomb into the street? I love parking space. <laughs> well, Professor, your goose is cooked. Why so, Nave? I can prove that you're a traitor and have been carrying on with the enemy spies, Sonia the snitch. What proof have you? I was in a closet and took a picture of you kissing Sonia. Here, look at the picture. What do you think of that? Mmm, not bad. I'll take a half a dozen. <laughs> come on, come on, Hope. Let's get out of this place. This guy's a screwball. Yes, isn't he? Who said that? <laughs> I did. And I apologize, Colonna. I am sorry I insulted you. Silence. I refuse to accept your apology. I am a screwball. Colonna, you are not. I am. All right, you are. Oh, so you admit it. Take that. That's one tooth gone. And that. And that. Third, I am shooting off my mouth. <laughs> Come on, Kathy. It's nearly midnight. Goodwin should be getting ready to light the fuse. Oh. Hey, look, look. The radio station blew up. Well, I... I carried out your instructions, Bob. But I told you to blow up the embassy. Embassy? Great Scott, I thought you said NBC. <laughs> Thanks for the memory If one more friend we've made With our small cavalcade It's evident that Pepsodent Will keep us on parade So thank you so much Good night, ladies and gentlemen Next up, the adventures of Philip Marlowe Next on Theater of the Mind you're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Next up, The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. It was a radio series featuring Raymond Chandler's private eye, Philip Marlowe, uh, Robert C. Reinhardt, and Joined D. Swartz in their book, The Ages That of Old Time Radio, noted that the program differed from most others in its genre. It was a more hard-boiled program than many of the other private detective shows of the time, containing few quips or quaint characters. By 1949, though, it had the largest audience in radio. And despite the program's popularity, it had no sponsor for most of its time on the air. The exception was when Ford Motor Company sponsored it during part of 1950. Let's check out this that was first aired in 1950, entitled The Pelican's Roost. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gut of the prison of the grave. There's no other end. But they never learn. Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum, the refreshing, delicious treat that gives you chewing enjoyment, presents for your listening enjoyment Raymond Chandler's most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, the makers of Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum are glad to bring you tonight's exciting story, The Pelican's Roost. Hello, Marlowe speaking. Phil, thank heaven you're home tonight. Lynn? Yes. 
Lynn Russell? Uh-huh. Oh, baby, when did you get back to town? Yesterday. Phil, listen, I'm at Eugene's. It's a beauty salon on Wilshire, just west of La Cienega. Yeah? Come over here right away, will you? Me? <laughs> to a beauty shop? You've got to help me get out of here. What's the matter, kid? Got your head caught in a dryer? Phil, please, I'm serious. I'm scared. There's a guy waiting for me outside, and when I leave here, I'm afraid he's going to try to kill me. Now, look, this isn't just for laughs, huh, baby? Phil, this time I'm not fooling. This man's crazy. His name's Ward Erling. I had a few dates with him once. He was in an accident three months ago, just before I left on my cruise. He's supposed to be in the hospital right now, but he isn't. He's here, just waiting for me to leave. Yeah, but Lynn, look, I... I'm not asking a favor, Phil. I'm hiring you. Okay, baby, it'll take me 15 minutes to get there. Oh, thanks, Phil. I'll wait till I see you walk by. I drove out to Wilshire Boulevard and kept telling myself that I could trust Lynn Russell. Why? Because I like her. She was a glossy brunette, born with all the natural equipment of a top model and a covey of oil wells in her own name. She rushed at life, but she'd always been smart enough to stop short of real trouble. Well, it was 9.30 when I got to the section of Wilshire's Miracle Mile that housed Eugene's beauty shop. I drove by, saw no one outside, so I pulled into an alleyway, parked, and walked back slowly. As I passed in front of the show window, I winked at a gilt mannequin with purple hair. And when I heard the door open behind me, I stopped and lit a cigarette. Lynn Russell hurried by without a word, ran to a cab at the corner, and drove away. Well, that was all there was to it. I turned around, headed back to my own car, and got as far as the handle on the door. Oh! I fell against the car as the blow came again. Oh! It made syrup of my legs. I oozed down under the pavement and stayed there. I know you. You're Marlowe, the private detective. Okay. So I'm Marlowe. Well, let me tell you something, Marlowe. I've spent three months flat on my back because of an accident that wasn't an accident. I'm going to get even with her, you understand? I don't care what it costs. Palmer Sloan or anybody else can hire a dozen like you, and it won't stop me, so stay out of my way. I climbed up my front fender hand over hand. Got back on my feet. Time to clutch a glimpse of a new convertible emerald green with what must have been Ward Erling at the wheel. Well, it was no use trying to follow in the condition I was in, so I headed for Lynn's place with all my windows open. The cool air helped. I pulled up in front of a wrought iron arch labeled Garden Court Bungalows and followed a flagstone trail back to number four, which was Lynn's. I felt almost normal again until I saw her front door. It was standing half open, framing a man against the dark interior who was trying his best to see inside. This time the advantage was mine and I took it. Take your hands off me. Get inside. Oh, just a minute. Get in. I turn on the lights. Lynn. I doubt she's home. Miss Russell is not in the habit of sitting around in the dark. Oh, you know her habits, huh? I do. And you? I know she has bad taste in men. I wonder if I should resent that. You don't qualify. What are you, Lynn? When she wants someone to help her lift a martini glass, she calls on me. We've been going on like that for years. Just tell me your name, Junior, and he's off on the small town. My name is Sloan, Palmer Sloan. Now it's your turn, Mr. Muscles. Never mind. Lynn! Lynn! By what right are you snooping around like this? Just who are you, anyway? Here. Here's my card. Lynn hired me tonight. Oh. So you're Marlowe the detective. Yeah, yeah. Marlowe the detective. Any idea where she is, it's important. None whatever. I had a date to meet her here, which never means very much to her. 
Why did she think she would need you tonight? Because she was afraid of a guy. One who gave me a crack on the skull and, incidentally, doesn't think much of you either. Oh? Ward Erling. Ever hear of him? Erling? Yeah. Uh, well, yes. But Erling's still in the hospital. He met with an accident, you know, something about brakes slipping on a car, and he was, uh... He was crushed. Accident's not what he calls it, and he's got a gun, just for emphasis. What's his connection with Lynn? Oh, help yourself, Marlowe. Lynn won't mind. Get your snoot out of that glass and answer me. She discovered him, like all the others. That sculptor two years ago, and the cowboy, Tex Harrison, early last year was that fellow with the racing boats, and so on. They are hobbies, fun and games to Lynn. She's got too much energy, far too much. What's the difference with Ward Erling? Well, he fell in love with her. It was charming. And then he wouldn't be brushed off, told off, or bought off. She tried them all. So? She left. Ran out, took a cruise. He wanted to marry her. Simply wouldn't take no for an answer. (laughs) Imagine that. Those two belong together like scotch and kerosene. You know, you sound a little like you're in love with her yourself. Maybe I am. But I know my quaint little position in her life. I'm her errand boy, Marlowe. Nothing else. You don't care how dirty your hands get? What do you mean? Skip it. Now, look, errand boy. Her life's in danger. Right now, I've got to find Ward Erling in a hurry. Any good ideas? You might try the four-bell jump in Santa Monica. What's that? It's a... That's where Lynn dug that character up originally. He's a musician? If you want to call it that. Some do. He was the piano player and leader of a small and, for some reason, successful combination that's still there, so far as I know. Yeah, and one more thing. Lynn left here in an awful hurry. She might be looking for you, and I might later, too. I'll go home wherever that is and wait. Why not? Oh, it's 210 in the Beekman Plaza. 210. And if my apartment doesn't answer, try the bar. When I pulled onto the parking lot at the four-bell jump, the first thing I saw was the nose of the emerald green car Erling had been driving peeking out from the side of a building. I checked it and found out it was registered to one William Freeman. Well, that meant nothing, so my next stop had to be inside. The club was a low-ceiling mixture of dusty fishnets, the smell of bad bar whiskey, and noise. band had just finished the set, climbed off the stand, and drifted out to join the customers. I saw the name Howdy Bub Freeman stenciled on the bass drum. It was a flyweight who carried most of it on an oversized head equipped with a pair of protruding yellow eyes. Stuck out even further when I followed him out into a back room. Hey, Bub. Yeah? Is that your car around the side, the green one? Yeah, brand new. Nice, huh? Too nice to loan out. Better come again. Where's Ward Erling? I thought he was the piano man here. Ward, he used to be. He's in the hospital now. Had a bad accident a while back. Who says it was an accident? What? It was an accident. I say so. Mm. Of course it was. I saw it. The brake slipped in his car. It rolled down an incline, pinned him against the wall. That's so. Who says he's in the hospital? I do. Hey, uh, look, what's your grip? You're a liar, Bob. Erling borrowed your car tonight. Man, you're dragging me. I'll see you around. Come back here. Look, look, I... I got, I got no beef with you, mister. Where can I find Ward Erling? Why don't you go off somewhere and drop dead? Where is he? Come on, little man, before I shake it out of you. You look like you shake off a lazy. Where's Erling? Uh, wait, wait a minute. I don't know. I swear I don't. I don't care if he used my car. I didn't know it. He, he's a bring down, a spook. 
Keep going. They blew us cork over some society doll. It practically wrecked our combo we've been working five years to build up. Also, it broke the heart of one very sweet kid. Maxine's so gone, she'd scrub floors for warden he couldn't see it. And disgusted her. Maxine who? Where can I find her? Now look, little man, do I shake some more? Uh, 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 Maxine, the jester. That's better. She's inside at the end of the bar, blonde in a blue dress. Take it easy, will you? She's a good kid. So am I. We'll get along fine. I'll see you, bub. What'll it be for you, mister? Scotch. Oh, that one's taken. Lady will be right back. Oh, I'm sorry. Water or soda? Water. Thanks. Hey, Larry. Huh? Hey, your phone's broken. I didn't get my nickel back. Nah. Oh, you want me to freshen up that drink, Maxine? No, thanks, Larry. It's fine. Uh, Maxine. Yeah? Maybe you can help me. Maybe? Uh, no. <laughs> no, what I mean is I'm looking for Ward Ehrlich. Try under a rock. <laughs> you know, you sound a little bitter. I'm as bitter as a slot machine these days. What's it to you? Well, I'm an acquaintance of Lynn Russell's. Name's Marlow. You know her, Maxine? I've seen her. At the jam sessions we used to go to. She used to show Ward off to her little groups like a prize pup. Sure you got a peg right? You know she tried hard to shake Listen, her. she's the got rocks type would sink a yacht just to watch the bubbles. And that's only... Only what, Maxie? Never mind, skip it. Good night, Mr. Marlow. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't I get to buy you a drink? Some other Tuesday. Good night. I watched her as far as the door. Decided to go after her, and then I caught the bartender giving me a very cold eye. <laughs> Didn't thaw any as I downed my drink and saw him high sign the bouncer. Looked like my welcome was wearing thin, so I went outside and sat down in my car and tried to figure out who was covering up what. But I only got as far down the list as Palmer Sloan. <laughs> had come from the back room in the club. I was a poor third in getting to him. A waiter in a white apron and a fat sax man both beat me. Over here, Manny. Here. Hey, it's Bob. Bob Freeman. He catch what's wrong with him. He's been stabbed. Yeah, yeah. In his neck. An ice pick. Bob. Bob, who did it? No use, fella. He was gone before he hit the floor. Whoever did that to him got him dead center. with our star, Gerald Moore, the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's exciting story, The Pelican's Roost. Howdy Bob Freeman was face down and dead. The ice pick that had killed him pointed straight up, rigid like an accusing finger. To the right of the dead drummer's sprawled legs was the pet saxophone player, his face shiny with a fine sweat of fear. And to the left, the waiter who had found Freeman's body. For a backdrop, there was the doorway crammed with astonished faces and the funny kind of cracked voices people always have at a time like that. I closed them out. The waiter objected. No, no, wait a minute, mister. What are you doing that for? We got to call the cops. Hey, uh, you ain't the cops, are you? 
Now I'm a private detective. Name's Marlowe. Well, that ain't good enough. We, we gotta get the law Shut about up, Dave. What? Mr. Marlowe will tell you anything you want to know. My name's Lager, Manny Lager. But Freeman was a good friend of mine. Even if he's the reason Ward Erling went to the hospital? What'd you say? That from my corner, Freeman dead only adds one way. He put Ward Erling in splints to keep him from wrecking the band by running off with Lynn Russell on a 90-day cruise. Oh, yeah, sure. To get even, Erling put an ice pick in his neck. Dossed it right from his hospital window. You, uh, you don't keep up with the news, do you, Lager? Erling left the hospital this afternoon, probably what? by way of the fire escape. Water's out? Out. And so the accident was the kind that's planned well in advance. I know because we've already had a chat. And you, you mean that Erling did this to get square? He killed Freeman? It could be. But there's another angle. Yeah, an angle named Palmer Sloan. That society lost didn't want his girlfriend mixed up with anything as degrading as a musician. That's it, ain't it? Maybe. Erling was after Palmer Sloan or Lynn Russell. He never mentioned Freeman. Yeah, but uh, where's the tie? Howdy Bub didn't fall on that ice pick. Uh, how does it figure? Playing the sheet music was Bub and Palmer Sloan working together. Palmer knew that Erling was on the loose. He was afraid Bub had spilled, so he quieted him with that. Right, Marlowe? No, no, I think you're wrong. Both of you. Look here. Here, I found this on the floor near the window. This wouldn't belong to a man, Mr. Marlowe, not even the Palmer Sloan. Let me see that. A mascara case. Yeah. Could be the very personal property of Lynn Russell. Yeah. Her and a couple of million other dolls. You can't hang her on that. Every gal carries mascara. Hold it, will you, Lager? There's a trade name on this case. Eugene, Wilshire Boulevard, Beverly Hills. So what's that prove? They prove you wrong, Lager. I'll see you, boys. Marlowe Sloan, have you heard uh, from Lynn? No, Marlowe, I haven't, and I probably won't, so please, let's not call here. Save it for the country right. club, Palmer, and get a good grip on this. The drummer at the four-bell jump's been murdered. Looks like our not-so-sweet friend did it. Lynn? Oh, you're out of your mind. Yeah, I'm out of my mind. Now, tell me, if she did this, have you any idea where she would head? No, Marlowe, no, I, I don't. No. The boat is tied up. Her car is in the garage for repairs. Okay, suppose she didn't take a car or a boat. Would it be by... Hey, wait a minute, Sloan, what was that about a boat? Is it a yacht, maybe? <laughs> Not exactly, Marlowe. It's a cabin cruiser. Anchored off the Santa Monica Pier at the moment. Santa Monica Sloan, that fits. What's the name of it? Crest of the Wave. Why? What makes you think she'd go out there? Well, among other things, a crack a lady made earlier tonight. A lady named Maxine Majesty who loves Ward Erling and hates Lynn Russell. Bye-bye, Palmer. I made it to the fog Vale Santa Monica Pier in less than ten minutes. Then was another five getting out to the breakwater that joined the end at right angles to form a protecting L for the 50-yard boats moored within. Boats that ran from the kind of sleek yachts that good girls stay away from to a leaky rowboat with a rusted outboard labeled Faithless. And all were moored in a series of slips connected up front by a narrow, wet catwalk that did not have a guardrail. Except for a quiet old man with his pipe and pass, the end of the pier was deserted. No light showed on any of the boats. When I'd gone along the catwalk as far as the crest of the wave, a neat chrome-finished 50-footer, I had a clammy, uncomfortable feeling that said I was too late. But that disappeared in the next minute when I spotted Maxine Majesta standing alone on deck, her blonde hair damp and flat to her drawn, glistening face, a face that didn't brighten at the sight of me. Marlo, what do you want here? Lynn Russell. Have you seen her, Maxine? Lynn? 
No. No, I haven't. But you are waiting for it. No, no. Why would I... I you I mean, mean you always come out here nights? It's good for a girl's hair. Is that it, baby? Marla, stay out of this, please. So you can get to her alone? No, Marla, so I can get to her alone. What? No, what's your name? I mean that, Marla. This thing goes off real easy. Now, where is she, Maxine? I, I don't know. Who would? I knew you'd come here after her. That, that's Never mind that. I want Lynn Russell, Maxine. Why? Why, darling? Oh, Ward, aren't you through with her yet? Didn't you do enough to you? She and that Palmer... Stop it. Just tell me where she is. Keep those hands up, Marlo. I had an itch. I'll ask permission next time. Ward, Ward, listen to me. What difference does it make where Lynn is? She doesn't love you. She never did. You were a five-minute intermission. But us, we were different. We were in love, Ward. We had every time. <laughs> I'm only after one thing, Maxine. Now, where is she? Ward, please forget her. Come here. Get my arm! You're I'm gonna break it unless you tell me what I want to know. The guy who runs the hamburger joint the other side of the pier saw her here, Maxine. And for the last time, where is she? All right, stop it! She's she's a looking smooth. Nice going, Adonis. You got your answer, didn't you? Yeah. Just like I'm gonna get Lynn Russell. Hooray! State will be overjoyed. What's that supposed to mean, detective? Something like Lynn Russell just killed Howdy Bob Freeman? You're a liar. Really? It doesn't matter. It's true, I'll just be a little harder on the fine lady. How hard can you get, kid? Hard enough. Bloody. Bloody, come now. Here we go. Up to the oh. sitting position. <laughs> Too much blood to the head is bad now. Come, laddie. Up we go. Oh, uh, there we are. Yeah. I'll be fine in a minute. Oh, there's quite the blow there. Yeah. Hey, take that light out of my eyes, will you? Oh, who are you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I noticed you out on the pier early. Uh, the name is Spoon. Elvin Spoon. But they call me Scotty. That figures. <laughs> oh, Scotty, tell me, where's the pelican's roost? Was it a nightclub or what? A nightclub? Oh, no, no. It's far from that. How far? What is it? Uh, the pelican's roost is the old fishing pier. In Santa Monica? Uh, a collection of rotting wood at the foot of Second Street? Aye, uh, but uh, what business could the man have there, Lottie? The dirtiest. Thanks for your help, Scotty. Are you... Wait a minute. Uh, what be it? Uh, something you dropped? Yeah. Something I drop while being dropped. A mascara case I never really looked at before. Lottie, you seem so puzzled. Uh-uh, not puzzled, Scotty, just dumb. Lottie here has been jumping to the wrong conclusions, and all because he didn't take a good look at this and... And what? And the color of a girl's hair. So long, Scotty. Thanks again for your help. May get me to the pelican's roost on time. The nickname for the cockeyed assortment of barnacled pilings that complained with every surge of the sea and complained again with the undertow that always followed was no misnomer. At least a thousand sleeping pelicans called it home. Now as I moved out along the splintered, lopsided boards that here and there gave way, I, I tried to be careful not to wake too many of the birds and stir them to flight because that would give me away. 
The heavy, clinging fog and the waves crashing over the jagged, jutting rocks below were on my side. I made it out to within 20 yards of the end of the pier without being seen. There I slipped my 38 out of my shoulder holster and went forward, a slow foot at a time, until I saw Lynn Russell. Alive and alone, huddled near a slick, oily piling, a face in her hands, a body trembling with her tears. What I didn't see was the man who had come up beside me and taken aim. Oh, Mary! How dumb can one man get? Hello? Beating on the sidewalk, a beating on the boat, and now this. Third time's a charm, Adonis, haven't you heard? Oh, Phil. Feel your hand, it must hurt terribly. Don't waste your sympathy, Lynn. The gentleman here thinks you're a killer. He thinks you knocked off Howdy Bub Freeman because you and Bub planned my accident. And you were worried about Bub talking too much. Phil, how could you believe that? Oh, it was real easy, Lynn. You had the motive and that plus a box of mascara that came from your beauty shop just about sold me. I don't understand. What about the mascara? Well, it was found near Freeman's body. But it wasn't until a few minutes ago that I found something else. The mascara is brown and that fits a blonde, not a brunette. What are you trying to say, Marlowe? My guess is that Maxine Majesta is that blonde. She happens to use the same brand as you, Lynn. It's a good guess, Marlo. Maxine. Swell guess. I did kill Bub. We both planned your accident, Ward. Bud, because he didn't want you to ruin everything you two worked so hard for. And I, because I... I, because I'd rather have you in the hospital than with her. Stay back, Maxine. He has a gun. So do I, but I'm still a hit. You see, Marlo, I got here before you did. I've been watching them. He had all the chance in the world to shoot, but he didn't. And he won't. And that's why you only got shot in the hand. He's not a killer. You only had the killer's temper. And he's just learned that revenge is hollow unless you are a killer. Don't, Bingo. Maxine. Shut up, both of you. You killed Bob. Yes, I did. He was afraid you'd find out everything. He thought his only chance was to tell you what we did and put the blame heavy on me. You scum. You put me in the hospital, nearly killed me just to keep me for yourself. Yeah. It's called love. Stupid, wasn't I, Ward? Selfish. And I lost. But if I can't have you, nobody... Oh, oh, She hit those rocks. We've got to get her. Not a chance. Wouldn't do any good if we did. Give me that gun, Erling. Milo, I... Never mind this speech. One back to the hospital. Get out of here. Yes. All right, Marlo. It was midnight when I called the Santa Monica police, and when all the paperwork was done, it was three in the a.m. Lynn and I drove by the old pier and sat looking at the rotten timbers. Tried not to talk about the poor kids somewhere underneath them. Lynn. Yes, Phil. How do you feel about everything? I don't. Just numb. Maybe that's the best way. Numb. Anesthetized. Insulate our hearts, our sensibilities. That way nothing can get to you. Yeah. Then just as we think we're all snug in cotton wool, life explodes the insulation, the heart ends the anesthesia, and... We're back grabbing at brass rings. Phil, I want to go home. Okay, kid. But remember, there may not always be a way home. Mm -hmm.
Adventures of Philip Marlowe, presented by Wrigley's Spearmint Gum, bring you Raymond Chandler's most famous character and star, Gerald Moore. Philip Marlowe is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Lillian Bayef, Larry Dobkin, Georgia Ellis, John Daner, David Ellis, Paul Dubov, and Jack Crucian. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Arant. The makers of Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum... Hope you enjoyed tonight's adventure of Philip Marlowe and that you're enjoying Wrigley's Spearmint Gum every day. We invite you to be with us next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time it was a big city, dirty from a trigger-fisted thug in yellow suede shoes. A lady's heart dropped in the gutter and a corpse in a Hollywood duplex. But in the middle of it all and setting the pace was a sweet little girl from Pumpkin Center, Kansas. This is Bob Stevenson speaking, and this is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll join me again next week when I'll deal out more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer of Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.